Second Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. These first words here in chapter 2, they follow on to the words that we've been studying in chapter 1. There were God very simply, but very emphatically, explained to us how the precious truth of His Word came into being. There He said to us that all the words that the writers of Scripture brought to them were pure. And they were unsullied truth coming directly from the mouth of God. And there God assured us that Peter himself had not come to them with cleverly devised myths, but with eyewitness testimony and also with the tried and proven prophecies of Scripture. Words breathed out of the mouth of God into the minds of the prophets who then were led along by the Holy Spirit to say and to write them down only in the exact manner and the exact wording that God had given to them. And may I give us just one quick example from the book of Jeremiah. And there are so many, many other examples of this throughout the Scriptures. But there in Jeremiah 1 verse 9, Jeremiah said, Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth, And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Can that be any more clear? God saying, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And God did that very same thing with all of the writers of Scripture. Breathing His words and His meanings into the mouths and the hearts and the minds of all the writers of Scripture, both of the Old and the New Testament, And yes, for our benefit and our better comprehension of His words, He filtered them through the minds and the personalities of the writers, showing forth the mindsets and some of the deep thoughts of each of the writers. But folks, listen, make no mistake. The words themselves came out onto these pages exactly, exactly. Let me say again, exactly as God gave them. And I want to testify to you that I personally believe this with all my heart, that God has done exactly that with these Scriptures, that these words that we read in these pages truly are the very breath of God, pure and holy, unchangeable, inerrant, infallible, with meanings that cannot be misunderstood by us as long as we allow the same Holy Spirit who breathed them out to also reveal their meanings to our minds. Read those exact words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. God is so thorough in the giving of His words. And He's that comprehensive, leaving nothing 
within the hands and minds of corruptible men who would be the writers of these scriptures, the readers of these scriptures. He breathed out these words into the minds of the writers. The writers wrote them down on these pages exactly as God breathed them. And now as we read them, the Holy Spirit explains their meaning to us. And I say praise the Lord. Now with all of that as the backdrop, as we move into chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is here warning these dear saints because you remember the letters are written to believers. These are not unbelievers, these are believers. Peter is here warning these dear saints, and then consequently you and me also, that they and we must always be vigilant and aware that these truths that God intends to stay so pure and holy will be taken up by corrupt and false teachers and will be misused to lead people astray, both those people who do not know the Lord but might be reaching out towards Him, but especially so unwary saints, believers, who are susceptible to false teaching. Now, who are these false prophets and teachers? And where do they come from? And what is their mission, their purpose? In verse 2, they're described as sensual men. Sensual men. And in verse 6, their sensuality is likened to that of Sodom and Gomorrah, where vile and perverted sexual sin was rampant. So much so that those sins controlled almost every person who lived in those cities. How do I know that? Because that was the conversation that took place between Abraham and the angel of the Lord, which is believed to be Christ, where Abraham interceded and said, if there's 50 in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you not destroy it? He said, I'll not destroy it. What about 40? What about 30? What about 10? And the angel of the Lord said, if there's 10 righteous people in Sodom, I will not destroy it. But you'll notice that he did. There was only one righteous in his family, and that was Lot. It says here that those false teachers will also be greedy men, greedy people, men who seek their own gain at the expense of ignorant people. We'll talk more about that next week. But that takes place within the churches so rampantly. Now, some are here described as being accepted as prophets. Prophets, men who were supposed to be telling forth the Word of God. But they were false prophets, pretenders. They knew the Scripture, well studied. Perhaps often they are eloquent in them, able to use and to misuse God's truths in such ways that well-intending listeners would be fooled and carried along, carried away by their deceptive words and the false doctrines that they would preach. Others are here described as false teachers. You have false prophets and you have false teachers. These false teachers are well taught, well learned in the scriptures, so much so that they would be elevated by their congregation 
into trusted positions of teaching within those congregations. Some of those false teachers may have even grown up among them so they were well trusted. But they were still false teachers. Now again, how do false prophets and false teachers come into being and what is their mission and purpose? The first part of the answer to that question is that every person, every person comes in to this world with sinful nature. All you have to do is read Romans 3 to see what sits at the foundation of each one of our personalities. Yours and mine. We're no different. There's a whole litany of sinful behaviors there in Romans 3. So we come into this world with a sinful nature. And that's the nature of these false teachers. But then also, the evil one, Satan, is ever and always at the forefront of that kind of evil. From those first moments in the Garden of Eden, we can see his presence and his evil influence seeking to corrupt and to turn innocent hearts and souls astray into sin. And these false teachers would be no different. And then also you recall that as Satan tried to tempt Jesus, he used and he misused these pure words of Scripture. That's a warning to you and me. The person standing in front of us may be quoting Scripture exactly in order to prove a point that they want to make to us. But they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Satan used pure Scripture to try to tempt Jesus. You and I have to understand that the demonic world is all out there. Satan is only in one place at one time, but his lackeys, his other fellow demons are everywhere. And what is their purpose? Scripture tells us it's to seek to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's anyone that they can entice. Now, who are these ones that are most susceptible to this false teaching? We said as we studied the words cleverly devised myth in chapter 1, it's often those innocent seekers who are looking for a way for God to be different, for Him to be different from what these Scriptures are saying, for a way for God to be more the way they want Him to be rather than the way that He really is as revealed in these Scriptures. You recall in that earlier study that we did on cleverly devised myths, we used an example about those hopeful people. And they're often mothers and fathers like you and me who see their children and other loved ones who are caught up in this constant lifestyle of sin. And so in their desperation to find a way for their loved ones to still be able to be saved, they look for a way to change God and to change His holy law rather than somehow being able to find a way to change the souls of their loved ones. They may have been trying for a long time with their loved ones. And their loved ones just simply want to go on the path that they're going. 
And so they, they are desperate. And so they look for ways to change God. And the most currently used, devised myth that promises to provide that kind of outcome is to accept the false doctrine that God is a God of love only. That God is a God of love only. And that He will forfeit all of the other qualities of His being, especially His holiness and His righteousness in favor of love. So that everyone then can be saved. And consequently then, those hopeful people fall fully into that false teaching because they're desperate. They're desperate for their loved ones. And so their children continue in their simple lifestyles. And everyone loses. Everyone loses. Some of them for an eternity. Unfortunately, more and more of our churches are daily falling victim to those same kinds of false teachings. And those churches are growing in leaps and bounds. Why? It's because those people who go to those churches want so desperately to believe this false doctrine. And they won't believe anything else except that false doctrine. And so those churches just grow and expand. Now, as for you and me, if truth be known, listen, if truth be known, even you and I might wish for such false doctrine as this to be true. Why? Because we also watch helplessly as our own beloved children and grandchildren immerse themselves in sinful lifestyles and behaviors. And so in some way, as we pray for them, we're saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do. And in some senses, Lord, I don't care what you've got to do. I just want my loved ones saved. Are we much different than these dear ones that fall victim to that kind of false doctrine? We have to be careful. We must not take away the holiness of God. We must guard His glory with everything that we have within us, no matter what the circumstance looks like to us. And then that expands all across our nation today. All the immorality and sin-filled, especially sexual behavior, it's increasing dramatically, both heterosexual and homosexual. And as that takes place, so does this false teaching. Within the churches, within the churches, it's now rampant. Our scripture text again. False prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying, and listen, even denying the Master who bought them. Jesus purchased us with a price, His own blood. Even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow after their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Here in the context that Peter was giving to these saints, he was giving specific 
scripture references so that those saints then and you and I now could personally dig back into the scriptures and see exactly what had taken place. That's the kind of checks and balances that you as the listeners in the pew have to go by as you hear speakers in the pulpit like me, Sunday school teachers, whoever you're listening to. He gave specific references here. Scriptures so they could go back and check and see what the sin was and what what was being preached at the time. And he gave specific reference to Noah, what was taking place in his day, Sodom and Gomorrah that we talked about a moment ago, and Balaam, the false prophet Balaam. Why did God do that in these words? He wanted these people that Peter was writing to then and you and me to be able to go back and find that real truth. Those false teachers, folks, they are really clever. They can say it exactly the way you want to hear it. And they're preaching things that you and I want to hear because they meet some need that we have within our own family or within our own heart. And you know what takes place? We don't want to dig back into the Scripture and see what the real truth is. We want to go ahead and take what that false prophet is or that false teacher is saying and accept it because that meets our need. And as long as we only listen to them and accept what they're saying, we're captured. We are captive to that false teaching. Now, in the time that we have left, which is not a long time, I want us to look at some of the beginnings a false teaching. And I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 3 and I'd like for you to turn there if you would. This is Satan. He is the craftiest of all of the false prophets because he speaks forth the Word of God. Only he did it for the wrong purposes. In those words, now we're going to be able to see that this very first sin was exactly the same as the sin that we encounter today in our day, but also was taking place there in this this scripture text that we're reading from Second Peter. You and I, what's being exposed here is that you and I want to be able to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. If you don't believe that, listen to your next conversation that's coming out of your mouth to some of your friends. Well, I'll tell you what I believe. You and I want to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. Listen to these words. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst, in the middle of of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree would to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband 
who was with her, and he ate. Folks, this is the way false teachers work their beguiling ways within our foolish hearts. In these beginning words of this passage, Satan simply poses a question to Eve. And he words it in such a way as to provoke a response that would reveal her real understanding and her feelings about what God had said. And then also to possibly reveal her attitude towards God's word. The question from Satan, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Eve's response, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, this specific tree. Neither shall you touch it, she said, lest you die. Now first of all, it is not written here in Genesis that God actually spoke these words to Eve. He only spoke these to Adam as far as I can find. And that was before Eve was created. Now yes, God may have repeated those words to Eve, but that's not given here. So the assumption might be is that Adam was given this leadership responsibility of passing God's law on to his wife, but Adam did not do it correctly. One part of Eve's response that has caused me to wonder is that she appears to have added her own words into Scripture. That's a problem. Neither she nor you or anyone else is allowed to add one word into these Scriptures. She appears to have. She also appears to have done it with emphasis. She says, neither shall you touch it. Now maybe God said that to her. Maybe Adam said that to her, but it's not given. Therefore, her added words may have revealed something special in Eve and what would appear to be a slight resentment because those words, and neither shall we touch it, implies to me that Eve might have wanted to know good and evil for herself and felt perhaps that she was being denied that knowledge. Now let me quickly say to you that those thoughts are my own. They did not come out of these scriptures. I'm only giving them to you as a suggestion. They are not inspired truth and you need to question that in your own mind. That's what's being expressed to me from these scriptures that she did not want it to be the way God had apparently said it to her. In some way Eve's answer just quickly prompted Satan to move on ahead with his temptation. And it worked. It worked exactly as Satan has planned. Her response was all that Satan needed in order to ply his evil craft and to move on ahead with his temptation. Folks, listen. Eve probably, almost surely, did not really know what she wanted. She had this perception But as we're told in James 1, 14 and 15, sin only needs one single desire to begin somewhere here in the back of our mind. 
and then left unattended, left unguarded, that desire then, as those words tell us, they develop into sin. And so it did. And because God said that's the way it takes place in James 1.14, we have to believe that's what took place with Eve. But also standing right there with her, Adam. Because notice here that rejection of God and following wrong paths is really often a very family affair. One gets led astray, and so do the others within the family. They follow suit so often. And then notice also that it was Satan's plan all along to get Adam and Eve to do what? To deny God as their God and as their choice maker for them and to elevate themselves into that sovereign position of being like God. That's also, by the way, the context of today's Scripture here in Second Peter 1. Listen, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And listen, even denying the Master who bought them. Adam and Eve were denying the Master. That's what these destructive heresies, this false teaching is intended for you and me. And did you notice the clever exchange of words that took place between Satan and Eve? And please understand that false teachers are often so much more clever than you and me. You may think that you know Scripture. You may think that you are well learned. But they're experts at it far better than you and me through the power of Satan working within their souls. They who may not, these false teachers may not even themselves realize that they are being false teachers. But they're being misused by Satan. They can have a certain innocence about them. They may be just someone who wanted to be a Sunday school teacher or wanted to be a preacher or they're a college professor or some other influential teacher. Remember, they're also, through this influence of Satan, also telling us things we want to hear already. That way perhaps how our children can be saved even if they don't change their sinful ways. You and I must always be careful. I want to close with this. You and I must be very careful and be on the alert. And you and I must study and know these biblical truths exactly as they are given. Not the way they're interpreted by someone else, but exactly the way they're given. It is only then that you and I will be able to know if we're being led astray by a false teacher. So let's close again. Lord willing, we'll pick back up here next week. Listen to these words. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Heresies that will sound very close to the truth. Even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. Will that be you or me? Many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Let's pray.